The Bible is the infallible and inerrant Word of God. And it is such a blessing for us in our culture to be even able to hold it in our hands. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Philippians, the first chapter. And if you don't have a Bible and you've always wanted one, there are some in the pews in front of you. There are gifts to you. Take one home. Uh, use it, read it, wear it out. I've been encouraged to have uh, had a couple people bring their Bibles back that they'd worn out from the church and said, hey, I've never had a Bible before. Can I get another one? Because uh, this one's worn out. I'm like, amen, you can have five. But uh, uh, this is the Word of God. And, and the Lord has uh, found it essential to the building up of our faith and our growth to give it to us uh, through the prophets and through the the. Uh, men of, of old. And so now we have it. Uh, let's embrace it and let's seek to understand it and uh, to live it out in our lives. Our reading this uh, morning continues our journey through Philippians. Pastor Keith is going to be speaking uh, to you in a few moments on Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Uh, pay attention to the words in your hands, the words on the screens, uh, the ones I read from Holy Scripture. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. These are the precious words of our Lord for us today. Let us not let them pass by without tending to them. And let us pray for the pastor who comes now to interpret them for us. Will you pray with me? Lord our God. Pastor Keith comes this morning as one ready, ready to speak your words, ready to uh, unleash your spirit as you would have it be unleashed here in this congregation of faith. Lord, strengthen him, for he has worked uh, studiously and and, uh, diligently to prepare this talk, and he knows, Lord, that if you have other words that would like to fill this room, he yields to that. Lord, strengthen Keith to be the preacher that you would have him be for this congregation at this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. On my way over uh, here this morning when I was reading this scripture, getting ready to start to prepare for this sermon, um, (laughs) I like to get ahead of things. You know, I like to make sure I don't procrastinate. No, seriously though, I was was looking at this all week, really, and, and even last week, believe it or not. And I don't know how you are, but I'm the kind of person that when my mind is heavily involved in something, I see that everywhere I go, right? And our mind has been pretty heavily involved in this healthy church initiative thing, you know, where we had these consultants come in and and interview people from our church and look at what's been happening, and then they gave us the report, and it has our five or our six strengths, because we're awesome, and our our five concerns, and then our prescriptions, and, and, you know, Mike and I and Vicki and others have been in just you know, awesome, countless meetings where we've got to discuss that over and over and over and over and over again. And um, the, other, the other day, Mike said to me in the office, he goes, hey, you coming to that meeting tonight? And I looked at him, I said, Mike, I wouldn't miss that for the world. Um, and, then he, and then he went like this, get out. Because, <laughs> so, I mean, we're like, we're like 
all over this thing. I mean, it's everywhere. And, and so I'm reading Philippians chapter 1, and we come to the end of this chapter this week, and we've been in Philippians 1 for a long time. And here's what I've noticed, okay? When I'm, when I'm looking at verses 27 through 30, I'm seeing prescriptions. I'm seeing Paul beginning to, 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 to make a shift from talking about uh, himself and what he's been going through, and, and now he begins to, to lay out some prescriptions to this church in Philippi. You see, Paul wrote this book while he was in prison to this church that he was trying to, to encourage and, and, and thank them for their years of service, and, and doing so, he's explaining his predicament to them, talking about his situation and his attitudes and his beliefs, and now in verse 27, we come to where he, he flips around the focus, and he says, now let me talk about you. Let me talk about what I think you need to do, church, in Philippi. And, and of course, I looked at that and I thought, you know, I see FUMC all over this. I, I look at this and I see some prescriptions for us, too. You know, it's great when you have an expert's, uh, you know, view into your life, isn't it? It's, it's one thing to be able to look at someone and, and see their example, but it's a completely different thing when that person can, can turn that advice around and, and look at your situation. When I, when I was growing up, uh, my whole world was revolved around playing the drums. I, I was a drummer since I was this tall, and I, you know, now I'm this tall, so really, whatever. But I, I, I used to study my favorite musicians and my favorite drummers. I had these things, kids, it was called a VHS tape. It's about the size of this book. And you slid it into this machine, and, and, and you know, and then you had to rewind it. Remember those rewinder things? You had to like... We were high-tech when we got its own little unit, right, to, to rewind the tapes. Because you didn't want to pay the extra 50 cents at the video store when you brought back your unrewinded video. So I'd pop these VHS tapes and I'd watch my favorite drummers, you know. And, and I, would, I would study their every move and I would try to emulate them in every way. And, and, and I, would, I would seek by, to imitate them and, and, and learn from things. And, and uh, as I got a little bit older, you know, I, I continued to do the same thing, you know. But now we have the Internet. So now, you know, Mike and I, we listen to preachers, we, we watch sermons, we, we hear things, we, we read books by experts, and, 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 you know, when we think about those out there in the world that are, that are more knowledgeable than we are, we're privileged when we get an opportunity to spend some time with them and have them talk about our own situation. A few years ago, I, I had an opportunity um, to go out to uh, Orange County, California, and you guys are familiar with Rick Warren and his church, Saddleback Church. His, his youth pastor guy uh, is a guy named Doug Fields, and he, he wrote the book on youth ministry. And, and literally, I think the, the greatest mind of youth ministry that's, that's been around in a long time. And, and uh, a young man I sort of helped mentor into youth ministry went out to Saddleback to become one of, one of his interns. And I said, all right, here's the deal. I need you to get me a meeting with Doug Fields. And he said, no problem, come on out. So I flew out to California and we went over to Doug's house and watched the Lakers game and got to talk about my youth group with Doug. And it was an awesome experience to talk about how, you know, where we were in our, in our, in our ministry and, and what he thought we could do to, to break the barriers of growth that we were experiencing and to make it better. And it was just an awesome thing to be able to do. And, and there's nothing like hearing an expert give advice into your particular situation. And that's exactly what Paul was doing with these Philippians. But here's the great thing about, about Paul. He's writing in the scriptures, which is something that's not just meant for the church at Philippi. It's meant for all of us. 
So really, these, this expert advice that we're about to, to read here and, and to, to, to pull out is something that I think we can add into our prescriptions and add into our process as we move forward into the Healthy Church Initiative. So let's begin with the first prescription here that, that Paul says, and if you look in verse 27, it's okay if you, if you kind of keep your, your Bibles open to that. He says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So prescription number one, live your life always in a manner worthy of Christ. Now, we could think a lot about that, but basically what it boils down to is this. Don't just be a good talker. Don't just be a person who who knows things or can say things. Be someone who lives it out. The world does not need any more people who, who have knowledge or who can say stuff. But the world needs people who can live it out who can, no matter what happens around them, and you get the first two words, whatever happens, Paul says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, basically, it means this, that no matter your situation, whatever you're doing, it should always be something that honors God and takes seriously the grace that God has given to us. So what does that look like in, in your life, in your school, at your home, in your workplace, wherever you might be? Your prescription is this. No matter where you are, no matter what happens, everything you do should honor God. Is that, your, is that the truth for you? Or, or is it only when you're at church? Or is it only when things are, are, are a certain way? And then we get, sometimes I know that, you know, we see this when we're around certain people that love God, we act like we love God. But then when we're around certain people that don't love God, we, we, we don't act like we love God. Paul says, whatever happens, live your life in a manner that, that brings glory to God. That's worthy of Christ. It's worthy of Christ, worthy of his sacrifice, worthy of what he's done for you, worthy of the, of the effort that he puts into your salvation. <clears throat> honor that, Paul says. You know, and remember, this is coming from a person who's in prison, who's struggling, who has every excuse to complain and to whine and to blame other people and to hurt people. He says, no matter what, live like this in a manner worthy of Christ. What does that mean for us? You know, whatever this prescription and this initiative and, and this new place we're going to as a church, whatever we end up doing, however it goes down, we must always live for God. It doesn't matter how great our vision is. It doesn't matter how awesome our, our processes for discipleship are or our ministries are. If we don't live for God, no matter what, there's a problem. So make that number one prescription, that no matter what you do in your life, it honors God. The, the second prescription that he, that he says really boils down to this. He says, live consistently. Whatever happens, unconditional faith and obedience is the goal for a believer in Christ. Unconditional. Not only when things are going well, not only when, when all your plans work, but even when things are, are, are tough, even when things are against you. Paul's prescription to this church was to to be the same no matter what, to have consistency. Anybody knows how how important consistency is when you're trying to train someone or or move someone into something. You know, we just brought a little puppy into our house on Friday. You guys see this thing. He's adorable. Yeah. He's, He's 15 pounds. He's a little English mastiff. So he goes 15 pounds right now. He's going to go about 200 probably when he's finished growing. 
Now, some people say, do you know her? Well, yeah, because I have another one. She's about seven, and, and, and she's a beautiful dog. We like big dogs in my house. So, of course, when you're, when you're bringing in a new puppy into the house, you've got to brush up on, you know, training methods, right? And so what better way to brush up on training methods than to watch the dog whisperer, right? So I've been watching that on Netflix. You know this guy, Cesar Milan, right? The guy who trains these dogs, and he does that ksh, ksh thing when he's training a dog. And, and I'm watching Caesar on this show, and, and he has these maniac little, you know, beagles or whatever. You just want to kick those things and get them out of, you know, get a real dog. But, and he, no, uh, you know, he, he, he takes these dogs that are crazy, and within just like a matter of moments, they even put a little timer on the screen, how long it takes Caesar to calm your, your maniac dog down. He's just able, ah, 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 psh, 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 you know, and, and boom. I find I've been doing that with my kids lately, you know. They're, they're like, hey, hey, Dad, can we, psh? you know. Hey, hey, Dad, that, psh. It's just like, no, you know. And what does he say? Caesar always says it's important to be consistent, to be calm, assertive, right? To be calm and assertive because dogs can read that energy. If you're freaking out, you know, they're going to freak out. Man, think about it. I think if Jesus were here and he'd look at us in our lives sometimes, you know, we'd be like, but Jesus, he'd be like, psh. We need, it. we need to be consistent. That's the thing I've been telling the kid. When you train the dog, do it this way. Don't, you know, don't let him on the couch. He'll, he'll, you know, pretty soon he'll be bigger than the couch. He'll eat the couch. You see, as Christians, we, we have to live lives that are consistent, right? We have to, to, to not waver depending on our circumstances. And Paul certainly was able to, to prescribe that to this church because he had lived that. He had lived that. He says, whether I'm in plenty or whether I am hungry, I have found the secret to contentment, we'll read. You know, and he talks about how it's important to, to, to have consistency in your life. Church, we need to be a church that's consistent. We need to be people who, who have this, this mindset that no matter whether things are going well for us or are difficult for us, we are going to always live lives that are, that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Consistency. So how do we do all this, right? Well, the third prescription that Paul writes here, I think, is, is really the key to helping us with this. And it's not unlike the prescription that our consultants wrote for us. He, he writes this. He says, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm, striving together in the one as one. In the one as one. I want to talk about that for a minute. That's a, that's a big deal. What does it mean to stand firm, striving together in the one? Well, in the one, Paul is talking about the one Holy Spirit. Paul is talking about standing in our faith in Christ. Standing in the supernatural power of God. That means that the Holy Spirit must be the source of our strength and of what we do as a church. It can't be some great idea that we have or even some great vision statement or even some great ministry or even some great program. It's got to be the one great spirit that we stand in. Because if this church isn't run by the supernatural power of God, but only by our talents and abilities, we are only going to get so far and we're only going to be so effective. You see, God has not sent us his spirit so that we could live a charmed life. I think too many times we think that the Holy Spirit is like our, our little good luck charm. It's like, okay, God, here's, I want you to bless my life. Send me the Holy Spirit to make everything go well for me. That's not the job of the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to help us become more like-minded, to, to understand the truth, and to become united together in obedience and faith and supernatural power. 
You see, you can stand in a lot of things, can't you? You can stand in your own resources. You can stand in your own talents. You can stand in, in, in your accomplishments and in your great ideas. But I'm here to tell you something. If you stand in your own stuff, eventually you're going to become discouraged and frustrated because no matter how great you might be, there's always somebody greater. Always. It's like Mr. Miyagi said, always someone no more. Our own accomplishments don't allow us the supernatural power of God for us to stand in. It has to be for Christ. I was, I was reading this week uh, in the internet uh, about that, that young man from, from Linmar who's that awesome wrestler at Iowa, Matt McDonough, who, who he got second place at the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, he was so discouraged with himself. I mean, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. Second place at the Big Ten tournament. Not, not a bad thing to put on your resume. But he was so frustrated by his defeat that they, they found his medal in the garbage. Can you imagine? I mean, I, if I had a second place Big Ten wrestling tournament in, 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 you know, in my life, it, I'd probably like wear it around my neck with a gold chain and it would never leave, right? But no matter, no matter how great you are, if that's your de- defining characteristic is your own accomplishment, then, then you're, you're headed for a disaster at some point in time. I, I read about uh, this article about Michael Jordan. Remember Michael Jordan, right? Remember this guy, right? Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest basketball player to ever live, you know, next to Beth, of course, who, who won the three-point shooting contest last night. Congratulations. She was draining him, you know. And, uh, yeah, we'll give her a hand. She's embarrassed, but... So... So Mike Jordan, right, who sits in throne of this empire of basketball fame and, and fortune, okay, he, he, he owns a team and, and, he, and he practically owns the world of shoes and everything like that. This, this article was all about how depressed he is and how just his whole life is like, well, what do I do now, right? And, and, and I remember this, this quote in this article. It said that, that, that Michael Jordan says, I would give all of my wealth away right now if I could go back and play basketball, if I could go back and play the game of basketball, I, I'd trade it all back to go do that. Can you imagine? You see, when we have our own accomplishments that, that, that define us and, and make us who we are, eventually that stuff fades. And, and even when it comes to our spirituality and church life, we can do the same thing. Many churches live their lives for the glory days, right? Remember when we did this? Remember when we had that, or, or look at us, aren't we great, we do this, or we do that. Sometimes churches are just as guilty of this because we're human beings, and we want to stand on our accomplishments, and we want to compare ourselves to others so that we can feel better about ourselves or whatever. We can't do that. We have to make sure we stand in the Spirit of God, lest we fall into temptation, lest we become puffed up and who, how great we are. We have to stand in the Spirit We need the supernatural power of God, not another idea, not another statement or another program. And Paul's inviting this church, your prescription has to understand this, that you can't do it on your own stuff. You've got to stand in Christ, but not just in the one, you've got to stand as one. You've got to stand together. There can't be divisions and and separations and and factions and, and all that kind of stuff. We have to come together as a church to stand together because when, when, when we fail as human beings, we need others to lift us up, don't we? When one is weak, someone else needs to be strong for them. When one is poor, someone else needs to provide for them. When one is discouraged, someone else needs to encourage. 
See, Paul knew this was, was the case, and he says you got to stand together. Because you can't live consistently in a manner worthy of Christ by yourself. Because the gospel is about community. In community, we exercise our spiritual gifts. In community, we become encouragers. In community, we understand what it means to be part of God's family. As Paul would write to the Corinthians, we who are many form one body. Whenever I talk to someone who says, oh, I don't need church, I don't need all that, I just have, you know, my little Reader's Digest thing or my upper room in Jesus, you know, and I do all that, you know, my faith is fine. Your faith in what is my question. If your faith can be practiced alone, it's probably not a faith in the biblical gospel. It's a faith in some sort of moralistic, you know, deism where you believe that God's out there somewhere and if I'm just good enough, that counts. That's not what the Bible calls us to be. Paul says, be united in the one spirit as one. Gang, if we want our, if we want our church to be what God intends it to be, we have to grow together. We have to come together. We have to unite together because we need one another. So what are you standing in and who are you standing with? Think about that for your own life. See, Paul says about all of his accomplishments, and he had many, they're rubbish. When compared to the greatness of knowing Christ, all that awesome stuff that we've done, all the great accomplishments, all the things on our resumes, all the, all the accolades we've received, when compared to how awesome Jesus is, it's nothing. It's nothing. So don't stand in your own stuff. Stand in the Spirit. It's very important. Because our fourth prescription that Paul gives to this church, he says this, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Have no fear. You can't have fear. You know, I go back to Caesar a minute and tell you that, you know, he says, when you see a dog, if you act like you're scared, the dog will know that he can dominate you. If you show fear to those who oppose you, then they will get the message that, that they can dominate you. Now, this was a, a very interesting thing for the church in Philippi because they had actual real opponents who, in very practical ways, wanted to take them out. They had people who would come in and take them to jail because of their faith. They had, they had the, the Jewish leaders who would persecute them. They had all sorts of enemies that were coming against the gospel. And Paul writes to them in the midst of these enemies while he's in prison, don't be scared. Have no fear. That's powerful, isn't it? Now look at us today. We say, oh, we got it easy, right? We got it easy. We don't have anybody coming in here taking us out or putting us in jail. So certainly this really isn't about us. Let me tell you something. It's more about us now. Because we have opponents too. But our opponents do not come at us with swords and with, with, with guns to, to take us down and to throw us in prison. Our opponent now comes at us with a, a sense, a slow, subtle attack on us spiritually that drains us and lulls us into a state of spiritual complacency. That's what our enemy does. Our, our enemies come against us and say, oh, well, you, you, know, you don't really need to be all that fired up about Jesus. You know, I mean, God, there's just, Jesus is just one great way of many great ways to come to God. Yeah, nobody believes the Bible anymore. I mean, that's just an outdated book filled with myths, right? Our opponents will tell us that, that people who really believe in the Bible are, are foolish, 
or people who, who give of their time and their resources to advance the kingdom of God through the church are, are misled and brainwashed and just need a crutch in life and, and are weak-minded. Our, our opponents will tell us that, well, it's okay, church is good, but you know what? There are so many more important things in life that are out there. Our, our opponent is our culture that would tell us that gathering as one is not as important as 50,000 other things that happen on Sunday mornings. And we're to not have fear. I'm afraid sometimes when I look at that. I'm afraid sometimes when I drive past ball fields that are packed on Sunday mornings that there's nobody going to be here in church in 10 years. I'm afraid sometimes when, when I see how, how disinterested people are in church that their kids are going to grow up and not care who Jesus is because they were raised not to. I'm afraid that, you know, my abilities and my talents and my knowledge is, is going to come up short. I'm afraid that, that the things I try to do aren't going to work you know, especially when I, when I see, you know, we had a tough week this week with, with, Tanner's, with Tanner's suicide, you know, and, and, and we stood together with, with the, uh, the youth group that he came from, and we brought our students together on Wednesday, and we, we banded together, and it was, it was very interesting to see how, how these students banded together as one, but I know tough days are coming for these kids, and, and, and my fear is that, you know, Tanner was a youth group kid. He was a church kid. And my fear is that we can say all this stuff all we want, but when it's not important and when it's not listened to and when it's not a priority, it it just goes in one ear and out the other. And I'm afraid that that's my fault because I don't do a good enough job. And you know what? When I start thinking about my fears and and my insecurities with that, guess what I'm starting to do again? I'm starting to not stand in the Spirit of God and I'm starting to stand in me. You know what I mean? I'm starting to, to not stand on, on who God is and start to stand on who Keith is. And when I stand on who Keith is, then yeah, big things are, are going to happen in bad ways. You see, we can't have fear because what we have to remember is this. As we live our call consistently in a manner worthy of Christ, no matter what happens, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and together we know from the first part of this, of this chapter that God is faithful, that he will accomplish that which he has said he will accomplish, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. That's the promise of God. See, the thing that drives out fear more than anything is faith. So how's your faith? When I start to become fearful, I have to be reminded that my faith is not in me. It's not in, in, in what I can do or can't do. It's in God. It's Him. My job isn't to create that. My job is to live that out consistently and stand firm in it. That's our job. And we do it best when we're together. So let your faith Drive out that fear and let your community come together and inspire you to build you up. The last prescription comes from verse 30, verse 29, where he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Did you hear what he just said? For it has been granted to you since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You see, We have been granted 
privileged by God to suffer. Now, that might sound strange, doesn't it? God gives you the privilege to suffer, but I'm here to tell you something. That's part of the process by which we grow. That's part of the process by which God molds us into the people that he has created us to be. Listen to this text from Hebrews chapter 12, where where the writer says this, that you're to endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as his children No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's probably not pleasant for my little puppy when I keep smacking it with my foot to go to the bathroom outside. But that's going to yield the results that we want, right? It's not pleasant when in our lives we go through difficult things and we have to turn to God and say, God, help me get through this. But God is able to take those things, even the worst things, even the things that happened this week, and to take these things and turn them into good for his kingdom. If we would endure that, well. See, suffering is going to happen. I sat in a counselor's office a few years ago, and and, and he he looked at me and he said, Keith, i got to tell you something. There's two things that we need to understand here. There's one thing that's for sure, and there's one thing that's not for sure. The for sure thing is, you're going to suffer. The, the thing that's not certain, though, is whether you're going to suffer well or whether you're going to suffer poorly. Now, you think about that for a second. Because if you haven't suffered yet, your, your turn is coming someday. It, it's out there. It's granted unto us as believers in Christ. But the question is, are we going to go through it well or are we going to go through it poorly? Paul's prescription for this church, whom he knew would endure some form of suffering, And I think for us, as we will endure some form of suffering in our own lives and and as a body when when this world comes against us and when when we fail because of sin and when we have to strive together and sacrifice, how will we do that? Are we going to do it well? Are we going to do it poorly? Are are we going to use our suffering as an excuse to hurt other people? Are we going to lash out at others because we're upset? Are we going to say, well, this happened to me, so therefore I get to act in this way? Or, or are we going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ, whatever happens, because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit together? Are, are we going to, to, to allow our suffering to mold us into the image of God? Or are we going to allow our suffering to take us further away from the image of God? You see, we're, we're granted this, both as individuals and as a, and as a body, and the question is, can we stand in truth? Can we stand in the Spirit together to suffer well? Gang, look at these prescriptions. They're, they're, they're not much different from, from what we've seen from our experts. I think they fit nicely with them, as a matter of fact. I think there's nothing up there that would uh, counteract anything that our experts have talked to us about. And I think, if anything, we can become more enhanced by these, not just for the purpose of having a great church, but for the purpose of God having a great kingdom. But understand that it all starts here. So I want you to look at these. And I want you to own each one of them for your own life. And ask yourself those questions. And recognize this. That just for this church in Philippi, just as for them and just as for uh, us here at FUMC, these can be true for you. Every one of them. And God has promised that he who began that work in you will be faithful to complete it. So may we strive together with no fear, 
in the one spirit as one body, enduring whatever hardship comes our way, rejoicing as Paul did. Let's pray together. God, you are awesome and your spirit flows, Lord, through your servants, Lord, in, in, in this scripture, God. We, we're so blessed to be able to have a window into Paul's prescriptions for the, the church at Philippi. God, may it, may it encourage us and strengthen us. And Lord, may we be people who strive together, rooted in you, who live consistently no matter what happens, with no fear in our hearts, because we know, Lord, that your will will be accomplished through us, and because of that, we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Mike Byerly, and one of the main reasons that I give to our church is to support the 412 ministry. I've worked with the ministry for a few years and seen the amazing impact that it can have on our students. I've seen kids' lives be changed. I've seen them accept Christ, and they become deeper spiritually and more knowledgeable in their Bible, and just become stronger Christians throughout the process that we have here at this church. It is an amazing opportunity that I hope you will help me support.